Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi, everybody. Thank you ever so much for coming. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before I want to jump into the episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Jennifer Style. What an absolute delight she was to have on the show, and I want to thank everyone for their feedback on this episode. Looks like there's a lot of interest in her books, so it is my profound wish to see a huge jump in sales. All right, so welcome to episode 116. We have a huge guest with us today. We have on the show LGBTQ icon Suzanne Westenhofer. We were super lucky to book her with her schedule, and let me tell you, she has lived an incredible life. We talk about it all, folks, from her early career aspirations to how she became one of the most iconic comedians in the business to her icons and her appearances on Sally Jesse Raphael, plus her 1994 HBO special, and you know what? So much more. I cannot wait for you to hear what she has to say, so let's go ahead and get her on out here. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet and welcome all the way from Los Angeles, California, the incredibly talented comedian, Miss Suzanne Westenhofer. Suzanne, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How has the weather been out by you today? Well, I'm in Los Angeles. For us, it is hot and we're kind of you know like uh what's happening but compared to the world right now we're having a beautiful day mm. so i start my interviews off with the same question and how has it been for you to navigate the covid19 pandemic all this time well i'm finding it was very rough on me and i'm finding out as i travel as a comic and i'm back out there i started out going out and doing shows again around March, April, you know, going to to Florida, going to North Carolina, going to New York, Jersey, different places. I was just in Utah. I experienced the pandemic. It was horrible. We were shut down here in Los Angeles until like March of this year. We only about barely two months ago stopped mandating masks. And so it was a big trauma that we were all going through together. And then, and people weren't really fighting it here. I'm in Southern California. And then you go out into the world 
And I, I would get up on stage and start talking about the pandemic. And they were looking at me like it was something I made up. Like, what? When did that? Oh, you mean back in 2020? And I was like, oh, my God. Every city, every state has experienced it so differently. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born? And what was it like growing up there? I was born in Columbia, Pennsylvania, on the Susquehanna River, which is part of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I am not Amish. I had Amish friends. And it was, um, it's a very old town from like, right when they came over on the Mayflower within, you know, like 50 years or so. And it was a, a big thriving metropolis kind of town until, you know, the, like the 1900s when it became nothing but a factory town. It's a poor town. Are we allowed to still say that? People are so yeah. sensitive nowadays. But it's working. It's a re- working class and surrounded by either other little towns that are working class or I would say majority farms mm-hmm. and farm towns. Did you always want to be in comedy or is that something that came along later? I always wanted to be a famous actress. Mm. I thought I was going to be in movies and I was going to start on Broadway and then be a famous movie actress like Katherine Hepburn. And I went to college because my mom didn't want me to just go to New York City when I was at 18 years old. Even though we only lived three hours from New York City, but no one ever went there. We were all terrified of it. And I went to New York with the intention of doing it, got it really intimidated by the process. I couldn't get an agent standing in line for everything. And I had to make a living. So I became a bartender. And all of a sudden, I'm like the best bartender around. I'm, that's, I'm making good money. You know how it happens. All of a sudden, you realize you're, you're a bartender. You've been doing it now eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I was going to be an actor. Damn it. And Uh, I was super out. I've always been an activist. I've been an activist since I was in high school about one thing or another. And so I was super out. And this was the 80s in in a bar in New Jersey. I would be like, hi, can I get you a beer? I'm queer. (laughs) Which now is like, ha, ha, ha. But in the 80s, that was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And it made me, and because I was blonde and blue eyed and had boobs, I got away with a lot of it. And they thought, it was sort of clever. And, and because I was funny, it was bartending. You know what I mean? Yeah. Manager, managers didn't get on my case about it, you know, and it kind of became a thing. Like it was a thing I was doing. People would come in to see the lesbian bartender for real. Oh. She, they, they would come in and be like, no, no, this woman, she actually, she'll tell you she's actually, she's gay. And she says it right out loud. She'll talk to you about it. And, it's the eighties, right? It's so, it seems so weird now, but that was a thing. And then I had regulars, which we now call alcoholics. (laughs) (laughs) And this one guy uh, was saying, came in once and he was all like, I saw this comic on HBO last night. You are so much funnier than he is. How come you, you, how come you never go and do comedy? You know, you think you're going to be an actor. Why don't you ever try stand up comedy? And I said to him, I go, what am I going to do? Get up and all of a sudden start talking about how I have a boyfriend and be in the closet. I've never been in the closet one day in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm this big, you know, I'm a member of ACT UP and Queer Nation and the Lesbian Avengers and all this stuff. I'm marching in AIDS walks and things like that. Like, what am I going to do? Pretend I'm not that person. 
and tell jokes about cats. I don't know, like that, it seems so weird. And then because he was a regular, he felt he could talk like this too. He said, well, why don't you just try? Wouldn't that be part of your activism? You know, and I said, I don't see them even letting me do that. I don't see that happening. I think I would quit my job, become a, a comedian. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know much about comedy at the time either. <laughs> and then what am I going to do? And he looked at me dead in the eyes. And he goes, yeah, because you'll never get another bartending job. And suddenly it made sense. He was like, I was like, oh, my God, I can try it. I'll still be able to bartend. What's the worst thing that can happen? I've already been marching in parades where guns have been drawn on me. You know what I mean? I've already yeah. been in New York City, you know? And so I went found out they had these things called open mic nights and I found one in New York City duh <laughs> and I signed up and I stood up there and did three minutes of open lesbian stand-up comedy it was July 31st 1990 <laughs> 1990 <laughs> I got a lot of laughs and a lot of surprise because that was not done right and it was a contest there were like 25 comics each everybody getting up doing three four minutes and I won the contest. So it's the very first time I ever get up, I get laughs and I win a contest. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. Mm. This will be great. This is no, this will be like, you know, I had no sense. I didn't even barely know what I was doing. And in my brain, I still didn't think I was doing comedy. I thought I'm doing this as an activist. I mean, I'm doing this because lesbians and gay men are not open on stage. I'm going to move the, you know, the envelope a little, I'm going to open the envelope a little wider. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't think of it as I was going to make a living or ever get paid or anything like that. But between the timing and the, I'd like to think the fact that I was good of it all, it became a thing where just like with the bartender, I got people booking me and asking me to do stuff because I was openly lesbian. All of a sudden, remember all those talk shows in the nineties, Geraldo and Mary Lou Henner and the, the ones like Donahue and Oprah and uh, Sally Jesse Raphael. That, I did Sally Jesse Raphael. That was the yeah. very first one I did. Yeah. And they I literally went on because I was a lesbian who didn't look like a lesbian who was making jokes about being a lesbian on stage, which was just at the time in the early 90s, especially in 91, 92, it was like. You can't even believe how people were like, that's just not done. You can't do that. I mean, you know. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you're making your living at it. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember your um, your when you were getting started, your comedy inspirations? Was there anybody, any names that come to mind that you were kind of like, I want to aspire to be like them? Yes. Um, always, 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 even before I ever thought I wanted to do stand-up. I thought that George Carlin walked on water. Yeah. And it was, I didn't think I was going to be a comic. This one is still when I only aspired to be an actress and had no sense of doing stand-up. It was his use of words. I like words too. You know what I mean? So the first time I heard, and back then, I didn't get to see him live. I was a kid. I heard his albums. You know, so I couldn't see his facial expressions or anything. He was making me, me laugh, you know what I mean, alone in my yeah. bedroom, right, with wor words, just so precisely. And then once I started doing stand-up, I really wanted to be, uh, and it turns out I'm not like him at all, but as a stand-up, but 
I have I only have one George Carlin story because I never got to meet him. I we we both did this place in um, it was called the Keswick Theater outside of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, and we both did a show there once a year, or not together or anything. You know, what I mean, we were just on the ticket, and I was raving about the fact that I would always miss him by like four days. So I couldn't mm-hmm. even come in early to catch a show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the manager or one of the stage people, whoever it was that was there all the time said, Oh, I'll tell him next time that the lesbian comic wishes she, you know, because that, I would, in the nineties, that was like a thing, you know? So he must, he told him. And then George Carlin left behind in the, in the dressing room, on a piece of paper, hey, I'm sorry I never got to meet your lesbian comic, <laughs> something, 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 and I lost it. Oh man, that's I didn't crazy. Even get it home. I can't even talk about that mm-hmm. part. But I, it's the memory is really what it was. The fact yeah. that he heard my name, he knew who I was. That's how, that's how amazing. Yeah, he is. yeah. Have you? Um, I'll, I'll just a quick detour. Have you seen the documentary yet? Yes. In fact, it, I have it on. I still have it on my DVR. I'm watching it again tonight. That's so yeah. funny. I watched it. It took me a couple of days to get through because obviously I'm so busy with the well, show yeah, and what have you. Like but eight hours too. But it was absolutely 100% warts and all. Yeah. Probably like it's it's yeah. They'll be showing that documentary for years to come. It was absolutely phenomenal, and I love that they I, did I that transition of where he went from, you know, the early days, you know, the the clean cut, you know, right, you know. G-rated comedy right. to the PG-13 to the hard R and then way past even that. And it was and it wasn't like he was there to be offensive. It was like no, he, no. he wanted you to he just wanted you to take a look at yourself and realize the craziness the, of what we're all experiencing. Of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you know, I think we are lesser of, as, a, as a civilization when he left us so soon. Oh, a hundred percent. Like he never if got you, to see, he never got to see Obama. He never got to see. Oh, I know. He, I would have loved for him to have to take a, tr- a shot at Trump. Oh my God! I you think, know. And ha, have do you follow Twitter enough to notice how many people will put up? Oh yeah. Trump does some horrible thing or whatever, says something. He he will put up. They'll put up quotes yeah. from yeah. Carlin of how he would have handled it. Yeah. You know, but that because they just sort of go along with it. It's just. Yeah. yeah, you and I are the same person right now. <laughs> oh, cheers. I appreciate that. Yeah, that is definitely someone I aspire to. And then also in the mid 80s, when I would go to these lesbian folk rock concerts, there was a an open lesbian comic who would MC or host. She was kind of famous, but only sort of among the lesbians, you mm-hmm. know, and her name was Kate Clinton. She also she had been a, a, an English teacher. So she had that wraparound use of words too. And I thought she was awesome and clever. And I love Lily Tomlin. People always say, well, <laughs> didn't you think Lily, didn't you want to be like Lily Tomlin? But I never thought of Lily Tomlin as a stand-up comedian because she's an extraordinary actress who's able to mm-hmm. do one woman shows that like no one else in the world can do. But I never think of her as like bad, about 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 a joke, bad, about 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 a joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what's funny? Um, there's a movie out. Uh, it's an HBO made-for-TV movie. It was about the early days of the AIDS crisis. And it's like an ensemble cast. And I mean, every Tom, Dick, and Harry you can think of is in the movie. But for me, Lily Tomlin is the star. She's only got like six scenes. Which, and which she's is, isn't it a remake of something? Which no, 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 no. It? It, was a, it was an adaptation of that book and the band played on. Yes, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Yes. 
Yes. And uh, yeah, she just came in and she's like a, a a moving tornado. And everybody in the scene is like, holy shit, it's, it's Lady Tommen being you right. know, just an absolute badass. And she's, in my opinion, she's the best part. In the, next to Ian McKellen, she's the best part in the movie. I, yeah, Lily Tomlin all, all walks on water for me, without mm-hmm. a doubt. I mean, I just think she, there's, because we've seen her even do drama. Mm-hmm. Is it her, you know, and that's, that's not easy to do both. We know this. We know that, you know, being able to go, you know, who do we most admire? Meryl Streep, because she can do The Devil Wears Prada and Sophie's Choice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I think Lily is like just an extraordinary human being and you know what's really funny have you met her she's no, like sort of intro- introverted and shy <laughs> doesn't surprise me at all doesn't and surprise me at all i know isn't it but you you know when she's yeah. up there on stage she's here she is ruling the stage and with no props when she does her own show with no props no nothing she's got like eight characters going mm-hmm. and i mean she's just a fire of energy just like you said you know what i mean and then yeah. You meet her and she's like, "Uh huh, oh that's great. <laughs> oh, I'm glad." <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want to get uh, ask you how important was that spot on Sally Jesse Raphael for your career? I can't even. I don't think there's a word for it because in January of 1991, I had literally only been doing stand up for months. Um, I'd never been paid to do stand up yet. I was still just doing open mics and running around New York City trying to mm-hmm. get up like anybody else. And when she introduced me, and I was on the show, not as a comic, I was on the show as a lesbian who doesn't look like a lesbian. It was called Breaking the Lesbian Stereotype. That, can you imagine they would never even be able to do a show like that now? It would be, oh, somebody no. would be so offended. Yeah. Um, but when she turned and introduced me, um, and this is my next, this is my guest, uh, Suzanne Westenhofer, who is an open lesbian stand-up comedian. The crowd went kind of crazy. But afterwards, I got, I think she was on ABC television, stacks. They would send, I lived over in Jersey, over in Fort Lee, New Jersey. I got stacks of mail from people. Lots of hate mail, but lot mostly like, oh my God, thank you for letting us, for saying that out loud. And, you know, people have, you know, just not too much hate mail at all, a handful, Mm. but hundreds of letters. And it also, I also got a lot of, hey, um, would you be willing to also talk about it on this radio show or this talk show, whatever? I mean, it blew my career right into the stratosphere before I even started. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally understand. It's 30 years ago. I will still have people come up to me who are like 50 and say to me, I was able to tell my mom that I was a lesbian because she was watching that show with me. Or they, I mean, they remember, do you know, here's the, and now I'm going to brag on myself a minute because, because this was amazing to me. It was the, it was the years of videotaping things. Mm-hmm. And lesbians and gay men videotaped that show and they would have parties to watch it like specific parties and so there's like 1992 93 it's like a year or so after i went to a party in connecticut you know like 50 wealthy lesbians in the up in connecticut and they stopped the party and said oh let's watch the show and i'm all like what show you know and i come in i'm like oh my god you know and that was (laughs) bizarre 
people didn't know I was there. They didn't do it for me. It was something they did. Yeah. So you were the first openly gay comedian to host an HBO special. What do you remember from that experience? Wow, so much. Because, you know, that happened only three years later. That was 1994. I would say there were so many things because it, it put me into a whole different class of comics here in Los Angeles. I wasn't even living in Los Angeles yet. But immediately taught me where that pink ceiling was. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I learned all the horrible stuff that year. I'm like I would go on an audition because I still thought I was going to be an actor, right? right? And I went. I remember going on an audition and it was for a soft drink. I think it was Coca Cola, right? And I was killing it. And the girl, and it was some stupid, it wasn't like some major national commercial or anything. It was just like, say this two lines in a commercial for Diet Coke or something, right? And I had it in the bag and she basically looked at the back of my resume and said, oh, you're a comedian, that's great. And then it says open lesbian comedian, all this stuff. And she went, uh, yeah, you, you, can, you can go, goodbye, mm-hmm. thank you. And that was the first one, but that, then that started to happen like, I mean, doors just slamming. I started out having every door opened, especially with radio and talk shows and stuff like that, because they were like, what? She's going to say she's a lesbian. To then when I tried to do anything that was not, was me being an actor or representing any kind of commercial setting, everything slammed shut. Mm. Everything. Such a bizarre, and it all happened, like I learned that all that year. You know what Mm. I mean? Yeah. Okay, Devon Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we'll be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Suzanne Westenhofer. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long, deep breaths. You know, Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of the show, and we will be right back. Welcome to Wine Chats with Bildo and Lindalyn. My name is Billy Milovanovich, a.k.a. Bildo. My name is Lindsay Kirkwood, also known as Lindalyn. And this is our offensively funny podcast about drinking wine and chatting life. Some of our previous topics include conspiracy theories. I know somebody that thinks the world's flat. What? Like a real person? Yes. Body ailments. I'm going to go from toes up because I have a lot. <laughs> no, seriously, you laugh, but I have so many body ailments. This is what ailments. happens with age, guys. And I know. And orgasms. I'm a little bit frustrated and it just hasn't been happening. I, I'm trying, Henry's trying, we're all trying, but when orgasming is good, it's good. Basically, we talk about all the things that you would generally talk about over wine with your girlfriends. New episodes out each Monday. Chat, Chat soon. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts. Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. 
I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, Sorrow, available on all major streaming platforms. And you can check my site out at patrickbakermusic.com. Don't leave my hyper Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duval Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUBALL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember, folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Hello there, Gigawater gang. I'm Kina, the host of the boozy and delightfully foul-mouthed comedy podcast, Historical AF. I'm a nerdy public historian that is joined by a special guest each week to deliver funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Past topics have included the magical manhood of Russia's mad monk Rasputin, my hot take the aliens did not build the pyramids, serial killers that both my parents happened to meet as children. Listen, I know what you're thinking, Kina, how do you even exist right now? Also, who was it? All right, I'll tell you. Spoiler alert, it was Sean Wayne Gacy and Mark Allen Smith. Anywho, we can't forget the spooky. I've covered topics ranging from the ghosts of Anne Boleyn to the night marchers in Hawaii. Don't look at them, guys. If you do, you have to strip naked and you have to lay in the dirt. Dim's the rules. You can listen and subscribe to Historical AF wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Historical AF Pod. And finally, you can check out the website for links to listen, sources, because citing is sexy, photos, and more at historicalafpodcast.com. Okay, bye! Janae Sergio, arriving. Hello, everyone. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.
Welcome back to episode 116 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with legendary comedian Suzanne Westenhofer. So I told my listeners that you were coming on the show, and I asked them to submit some questions to ask you, and I have chosen the most intelligent of them. Okay, but no math, right? No math. Okay. Trust me, I, I even I wouldn't put that on myself. I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so first question, and this is kind of a fun one. Uh, so it goes like this. Suzanne, you are part of the old guard. How difficult is it now to write jokes in canceled culture? It's very hard. Every comic that I know, straight, straight or gay, regardless, every working comic I know right now is bitching about it. It's not just cancel culture. It's the whole, that word isn't used anymore or you, the sensitivity, where I'm calling it, because it's so much worse than anything PC ever was. Because you could mock PC. That was the funny part about it. You can't even mock how sensitive people are because they're so sensitive. <laughs> like we've, we've gone down a horrible rabbit hole. Co most comics are just, I am too. It's like, we're the court jesters. We're the ones that are supposed to be able to say the thing you don't say. Like that's why people come to a comedy club. You don't go to spend $17 on nachos that have cheese whiz on them. You go for comics, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, everybody I know hopes it's a phase, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that we're gonna sort of, which sounds funny coming from a homo, but uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it really, it, it's awful. I, in my, in my own community, in my own community, in a room full of, you know, four or 500 people who have come to see me, a lesbian comic, for the very first time in 32 years of stand-up, there are, I'm afraid of things, like I'm careful about what I say. That leads into the next question, the next fan question. Have you ever told a joke that went too far and have it backfire on you? Not often, but wait, there was one. Yes, it was it was a slip of the tongue, meaning it wasn't a joke on purpose. Mm -hmm. I was in Provincetown, Massachusetts. It was which is a resort town, Cape Cod. I talk I was talking about the beach and I think I was doing some back and forth with some audience members, you know, and I'm like, "No, I don't like being out on the beach. I don't like being in the sun, you know, all that stuff." Yeah. And what I said out loud, and I didn't even know it was bad. I went, "Come on, man. I'm German." We burn, we burn in the sun. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that'll do it. Uh-huh. And it it didn't backfire in a way that, like, I got in trouble so much as the audience, the booing and the whoa. Yeah. And I didn't even, I didn't even get it for, like, 20 seconds. Now, here's the worst part. The, the coda to that whole thing that's funny is I did DNA testing over... COVID during the shut out, shut in, you know, board, mm -hmm. the shutdown. I'm not German at all. I'm Scandinavian. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. I wish I could get that whole audience back just to apologize and say, <laughs> and look, guess what? I'm not even German. Well, I'll tell you what, save that for the last question. You'll understand it when you hear it. All right. Okay. All right. The next question, and this one's kind of an important one. We're going to take it kind of to a serious place for a second. As a woman, as well as a gay woman, in your opinion, how far has Me Too movement come in stand-up comedy? Maybe 5%. It has not. Meaning the way it has moved our culture is pretty intense and pretty amazing. 
and in many ways too far, but it, that'll all bounce back, I think. In stand-up comedy, it's still a man's world, 100%. If I would go tonight down to the improv or up here to the comedy store, I live right where all the clubs are in Los Angeles, um, and want to get up and do stand-up, um, if they didn't recognize me or I couldn't like convince them that I had a name or whatever, I just want to do 10 minutes, They would, and they had like 15 comics getting up, they would say, oh, well, we already have two women getting up. Hmm. It's the 1980s in a club, man. Who are some fellow LBGTQ comedians that you enjoy and admire watching? All of them. I really, really was excited for Hannah Gadsby, the gal from New Zealand. I didn't, it's really the the worst part about it, of course, I didn't laugh that much because I'm, I've been doing it so much longer. I've been hearing people doing the jokes, the other gay comics doing it so much longer that nothing that she said in, was new to me because I've been hearing coming out stories from gay comics, you know, for 30 years mm -hmm. and they're all a little, so that was interesting. And a lot of her like sort of realization stand between us and the straight community kind of stuff. It's, it's all been done right. as far as in the niche of gay comedy, not on television, not meaning not on, but she pushed I mean, she pushed that envelope way, way, way open for, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I also think I like her. I liked her style. I think she's she's got something going on there. Um, but again, and she might turn out to be a little Lily Tomlin-ish where she becomes more of an actor with it. Uh, the last of the fan questions is where did the idea for a bottom on top come from? I talk about lesbian sex a lot in my act, which was... Uh, a little bit like if anybody ever said, what was your shtick? That might've been my, it was a lot of my shtick in the beginning because it made straight people so uncomfortable. It was fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and but what I realized as I did uh, more comedy just for gay audiences, especially uh, all lesbian audiences is how it makes them uncomfortable too. And how there's, I call it, there's no bottom pride in the lesbian community. Like if you talk, a bottom and a top and gay guys, they get it. They laugh. Ha ha ha. One's a pitcher. One's a catcher. Ha ha ha. But lesbians are all like, oh, I'm not butch. I'm not them. I'm not anything. And yet, um, yes, yes, you are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That exists. Okay. It just does. And so I, I think I got that title from I'm a big bottom. I'm a bottom. I'm a femi, femi girl who enjoys being a girl, who enjoys being femme. I'm attracted to girls who are butch and play sports, you know, I mean, and look like your gym teacher. I'm old school, right? But I always felt like those butch girls, they were getting all the attention. That's what everybody thought a lesbian was. Mm -hmm. And even in the lesbian community. And I was like, come on, man, you know, where's our bottom pride? So um, I didn't even think of the title all by myself. My manager at the time said, well, if they're, if, if there, we were having some conversation and she said, well, you may not be a top, but you're top in the lesbian community in comedy or something like that. And I said, yeah, I'm the bottom on top. Right. <laughs> and that's how it came that because we were discussing why lesbians don't like to talk about me saying or her saying, well, at least you're you're the number one of the bottoms. You're, and I said, I'm the top. And then it became uh, like, oh, it's a joke. 
I'm the bottom that's on the top of the pile of comics. Mm -hmm. It was funny at the time. (laughs) You know how that is. So what's the best advice you've ever been given as a comic? The two best advice, they're they're both really, really important and happened within the first year, year and a half I was doing stand-up. The first one was Joan Rivers. I was in New York City, and she used to do this thing, a fundraiser for AIDS, Friends of Joan, once you know, once or twice a year, a big show. Mm-hmm. And I was, in my, like I said, in my first year or so of comedy, she heard about me, and she was raising money for AIDS awareness. And, of course, there weren't really many gay comics, so I got in. And after my show, I was the only open lesbian on the stage that night. You know, She came up, and she said how proud she was of me, right? for doing this and it was going to move not just move uh gay people forward but move women forward but then she said to me don't make your life a problem don't take every picture somebody wants to sign every autograph smile remember that the audience they're they're your boss yeah you know that's your that's your job don't you know don't make trouble for yourself and oh no i don't want my picture taken oh no i can't say you know those people make their lives hard. You know what I mean? She yeah. said, just to, it's just as much a part of your job to turn and shake hands and say thank you as it is to tell the joke. And then within months of that, I was doing a show in San Francisco and Lily Tomlin was in the audience. I did not know that. And afterwards, she came into the dressing room and she took my hands and she looked into my eyes and she said, take your star moment. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but up until that time, again, I, I, at this point, I've been doing stand-up maybe two full years. I would go, thank you, good night, and walk off stage, you know, bow walk off stage. And she would go, no, no, no. She said, give them a chance to love you. If they're, if they're, if they're standing there and applauding, you know, you should, you should walk the length of the stage, say thank you, wave, whatever you want to do, whatever's comfortable, but take your star movement and give the audience their chance to thank you because you're taking that away from them. And I've never forgotten either of those things because they're, I think they're stellar advice. That's awesome. I don't even have a real audience for this and I still want to take a, you know, <laughs> I want to yes. do that now. <laughs> yes. So, right? so what do you remember from the comedy special out there? Oh man, not a thing. I'd have to be like, <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to see it again, probably. Yeah. I think, if I remember correctly, though, it was, am I wrong? It was the first Comedy Central gay special. So, and it was but uh, slightly before my, was it before my HBO special? I think it was, yes. Like a year or so before. So it was probably one of the first time gay comics were, collect- certainly was, if not the first time, gay cl- comics were collected up doing a special. And it wasn't, back then... It was, was it even called Comedy Central or was it still called the Ha Channel? I don't remember. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I can't remember either, but I'm, I know that it wasn't considered official. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because you weren't on network and it yeah. was barely even cable. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, but I do, I know, I remember that there was a tremendous amount of excitement because of that, because we all knew that this was the first time we were sort of getting legit promotion and yet we were being told by anybody in the business that it wasn't really legit because it wasn't you know network or whatever hbo or something like that 
great. Right. So I always like to ask one fun question as we start to get towards the end of this interview. Um, when you're not out entertaining the world, what do you like to do for fun? And is there any kind of music or shows you're currently into right now? Well, yeah. oh my God. Uh, it's all changed so dramatically because I was shut down for two years that, and now I'm like coming back out again because one of my favorite, I'm very social. Like I'm the dinner organizer or the let's all get together for drinks. And you know what I mean? That's oddly enough, ironically enough, I got addicted to Dateline and 48 Hours. and Interesting. Uh, yeah. I'd always watched them. Do you know what I mean? I always enjoyed mm -hmm. them. But with the advancement of television being where you can pick a show and watch it, whatever you want over and over again. And you can, on my DirecTV, I can download an episode of Dateline and it will just, when it's over, it'll just go to the next one and then the next one. And it'll do it for like a year's worth of Datelines. You could watch one that, you know what I mean? And yeah. when I was shut down like that, I got really into a lot of that. <laughs> A lot <laughs> to the point where I was watching so much of it and my girlfriend likes to watch television to have the TV on before she falls asleep. She doesn't want to watch the TV. She just wants me to watch something so she can fall asleep to it. But to right. the point where she was saying to me, you know, uh, you watch a lot of Dateline right before I fall asleep. And uh, should I be worried? Uh, <laughs> and I and I because I basically said, look, I'm not taking notes. If you see me taking notes, then I would start to worry about yourself. You know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> I would say, but right now, if you ask me, like, what am I into? I don't even know what to say because I'm into everything. I'm so, this sounds so goofy, but it sounds, I'm so happy to be out. Like I just hosted, I emceed Ogden, Utah's Gay Pride on Sunday from 11 a.m. till 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> I hosted, you know, their big gay pride rally. And yeah. normally it's not that that's not a fun gig. It's just, that's a lot of work. It gets a little bit tedious. You're, you know, the, you keep, you're the same host over and over coming out. Okay. This next person, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. I, it was, I had such a great time because I haven't been doing anything. And so just to be around, you know, 500 gay people in the backstage and stuff like that was so what what do i do in, what do i enjoy doing now fucking everything i'm out again we get to do stuff hugging people oh my god hugging people mm -hmm. because i was so social and i'm so touchy-feely and all that stuff and to have that taken away for nearly two years that was a that's a big drama and so now yeah. to be back out, it's like, I take nothing for granted, man. I shake your hand. <laughs> <laughs> so what is next for Suzanne? Gosh, I don't want to jinx this, but because it, I almost got to this place in 1996. And uh, I'm, but now the uh, tele television and stuff is so much more open. I'm working hard on trying to do a talk show interesting like, like a real a, a, like like the lesbian stephen colbert or jimmy fallon type thing to what degree meaning back in 96 i was actually in talks to be on like fox like back when fox wasn't horrible remember that yeah when it was the simpsons and stuff 
with streaming and everything, there's so many more opportunities. But I'm also older. And mm-hmm. it's that kind of business where that matters. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's truly something I want and I want to do. I want it to be like a gay show with a gay host who's openly gay. But I'm introducing gay things to straight people. I'm introducing mm-hmm. us, you know, like... There are so many very successful gay singers and bands and comics and authors and, you know what I mean, and chefs yeah. and all that other stuff, just like any other talk show. But we never hear about them because they're openly gay. And in the world, you have to be famous first and then come out. And I know that that's changing right now a little tiny bit. But what I mean is there's all these people who are making their living doing these amazing things that straight people, the straight community doesn't get to know about. Right. Because this person has been, is 35 years old and they've been doing it for 10, 15 years. You know what I mean? But they're not. And I want to do a lot of that as well as I have been in this business long enough that I have, I know enough famous people. I want to get them on like that are famous for real like a Martina Navratilova, right. Billie Jean King, you know, and then get them yeah. to get their friends. <laughs> I, I wish you nothing but the best. That sounds like an absolutely brilliant fucking idea. Uh, and I, Thank you. I want it to be gay, but I want straight people to want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Like Ellen DeGeneres was openly gay and my God, what an amazing thing. And then she basically never mentioned it again. So as we begin to wind down this interview, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Well, if you go to SuzanneW.com or Facebook or any of those things, that'll tell you where I'm going to be if you want to come out and see me live. Mm -hmm. If you actually want to engage with me for fun online, I am more on Twitter than anything. The gal who does my webpage and uh, uh, another uh, person who does my publicity have threatened (laughs) to make me use Instagram (laughs) <laughs> but my Insta- my in- I, I never got the swing of Instagram. I never figured it out the way I did with Twitter and Facebook and stuff right. like that. So. But I still I haven't say, figured it out. <laughs> if, you, if you really want to engage with, I know, right? If you really want to engage with me, Twitter, not Facebook, I don't get on those messages that often. It's overwhelming. It's a lot of foreign people. It's like, yeah, what's that whole thing? You know, it's a lot of bots and weirdness. Whereas on uh, Twitter, um, I'm not overwhelmed by followers. I think I have like 18,000. It's not crazy. So I answer stuff pretty on the regular. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it makes sense. So, yeah. 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 So I am in my interviews with my favorite question. The question is, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you want to say to the people of Earth? Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm Scandinavian. <laughs> And, and with irony wrapped around it, 0.1% Ashkenazi Jew. Just saying. <laughs> if I had the whole world listening to me, I've always wanted to be king. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always, like, not queen, not president, king. I've always wanted to rule everything because I think yeah. I have the best ideas for everything. And that if everyone just listened to me and did what I said, the world would be an amazing place. The climate change, we'd all, that'd be wrapped up. That'd already be done because I was dealing with that shit in the 70s. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, 
uh, I don't even know what I would begin. I, could, I don't think I could pick one thing. That, you know I'm about to say, I, I was about to ask you, like, what's your first decree? I'm like, I have no idea. So, oh, everybody, the first decree has to be we all got to get on one language. Interesting. Even if that's just a basic core language that we use to just kind of, you know, like, like a, a sign language kind of thing or mm -hmm. whatever, there has to be one core thing so that no one person can twist somebody's minds or create cults and stuff like that. You know what I mean? All right. Suzanne, this has been a bizarre absolutely, No, absolutely beautiful 45 <laughs> minutes of my time, man. I Thank you oh, ever thank so much you. for taking the time to come on. You're so sweet to say that. I know you interview people all the time, so I'm not sure if you're just saying that because you always say it, but I'm going to take no, it. No, no. Trust me. Uh, people people who know me know that what I say, they think it's uh, – practically gospel so yeah. oh cool yeah so good luck to you okay and just like that Duval Nation we come to the end of episode 116 I want to thank Suzanne for taking the time to come on the show today what an absolutely amazing woman and I could not get over how lucky I was to have her on the show I also want to thank Angela from Suzanne's team for making this interview possible Tune in again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there, and we have everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we selected t-shirts we wanted on our store, and we have everything from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Pride shirts, Norm MacDonald, and so much more. Go to our website, DerekDevallShow.com, and go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on TeePublic, and we want to thank TeePublic again for being such great partners with us. Have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up to date when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us. So, on behalf of myself and the entire team here at The Derek Duvall Show, I want to say each and every one of you listening... You know, it takes no effort to be kind. Try to find a way to do one positive thing for someone today with no expectation of reward, and you'll be amazed at how contagious that feeling you get can be. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.